This is a fourth hand production. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Now, are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental? I don't know. Planes that they're building. And police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. Weird animal-like creature that was shot. Wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome everybody to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. And I'm John. And I am not haunted. <laughs> Are yeah, you right. sure about totally, that after that video? <laughs> totally <Damn>. haunted. <laughs> oh, dude. I'm, I'm going to say it could be a just shorted wiring, but I'm being very optimistic about that. Yeah, I changed the bulb and it stopped. So <laughs> It kind of looks like it was going with the, you had Nightmare Before Christmas going on in the background. It kind of looks like it was like going to that. A little bit, right? Yeah, just like a little. I mean, I did. No, I not weird at all. I didn't like, I didn't like. You were dissecting it. Yeah, but I was like, it kind of looks yeah. like it's just a light show for the mayor of oh, Christmas boy. town. Yeah. It was nice. I was like, oh, damn, he's got something going over there. So Yeah, I was, I was very annoyed about it. Yesterday was very stressful and long, and I was like, I don't have energy for this shit. Yeah. Just <laughs> I don't got time for this demon guy. shit. Yeah, right, exactly. Get out of my house. Oh, too fucking funny. Well, Can everybody please welcome. haunt me at a fucking more convenient time. <laughs> yeah, like maybe 2 o'clock after my meeting, you know, not when I'm trying to you check out a movie. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, well, welcome, everybody, to another episode. Um, Halloween, under our belt, by the way. I don't know how you guys' went, but uh, we had a pretty good time. wasn't too bad. So. Nice. Yeah. Mine was awesome. Yeah. I went and saw Dune in the theater again. Oh, wait. No, oh, that my was God, Saturday. you guys. Um, and then I didn't do a whole lot on Sunday that I remember. So it must've been pretty fun. Oh, there you go. Well, you know, I have not yet seen Dune. Don't judge me, John. I know I'm you on, watch it again. <laughs> I'm on my third watching of it. Oh my God. I, I think I'm I'll probably so cool mad. out after tonight or after today. I'm like, all right, three times. It's good. It's good. Okay. Uh, it's I, I'm going to read the book now. I've got it on my body. I just got to, I got to watch. It. I got to find time with the, with the wife to sit down. We've just been busy, busy, busy. You know, we had a big party. We planned that and this and that, and it's just been a thing. So, um, yeah, you know, hopefully things slow down a bit, but I will definitely let you guys know once I check it out. Um, I wanted to real quick, uh, talk to the listeners about, and John, you can chime in on this too, because you finished a book before I did. I just finished it today. Uh, you know, we like every now and again to throw out book recommendations to you listeners and say, Hey, you know, we think this is worthwhile. Um, and I don't know, again, you can back me up on this, but there is a new book called skinwalkers at the Pentagon, an insider's account of the secret government UFO program. It was fucking really, really good. I yeah, immensely it enjoyed awesome. it. Yeah. It was it was really cool. Gives you more insight on Skinwalker Ranch and like kind of the kind of a little bit of the investigations that were going on after NIDS mm-hmm. and um gives you a look into OSAP, which everybody thinks all this stuff was a tip from the New York Times article, but a tip spawned from OSAP and OSAP was the one that did all of these investigations. It only ran for a very short time, but um yeah, no, very 
very interesting book and it gives you kind of a shed some light on some things that I don't think we were uh, very privy to. I don't, I don't think we were either. And to be honest with you, you know, and you mentioned too, you finished your book, you text, we were texting back and forth a bit on it. And you know, it, it, I mean, it's a very well-researched book. There's some r- nice background information in there. A, a bit scary. You know, you talk about hitchhikers and things like that. And I'm, and I'm 100% yeah. with you. I, they were talking about um, picking up, I, I, how do you describe it? Not necessarily entities, but people that would be at the Skinwalker Ranch, they would experience, experience something. Then they would go back home and things would follow them back home. Yeah, and family. it would spread. One of the researchers, like, uh compared it to like a virus or like a disease or something mm-hmm. because like it would infect not only just like the house but it would kind of like go into that like neighborhood or that area yeah, the family members and everything else yeah it's, yeah it's just crazy and some of them were actually diagnosed to actually get a disease like it they like were terrible diseases like health lymphoma issues yeah yeah like cancer just crazy shit no, yeah. oh, it, it's it's insane. It's a great book. I, I think the really cool thing towards the end, it broke down like phases of um, the decades a little bit. There's six phases mm-hmm. in UFOs and how we've seen them. And again, not to, you know, it's not spoiler whatsoever, but it's just very well done, very well laid out. Um, actually, it was a co-written to uh, James T. Lekaski, uh, Kalma Kellier, and George Knapp which we all know the journalist out of Vegas, you know, talks about Harry Reid, talks about the original earmark money for that, for that program, which was a swap, like John said, uh, just a, a very good book. So anybody picks it up skinwalkers at the Pentagon, um, really quick read, uh, worth it in our, our opinion. So Josh, you're next. You got to get that on your, on your lap time for sure. So, but anyway, uh, with that being said, that actually falls right into what we want to talk about. We actually have a guest that uh, we've had on before, but unfortunately, the first time we had him on, we had a couple other guests with him and, and really didn't give him a chance to have a platform and talk. Um, he's a film producer. He's a writer. He's a director. He's been doing documentaries of the high strangeness for uh, since like 2011, I think. He's covered just about everything from crop circles to abductions to underground. And now he has a new one out. When we originally had him on, it was about Sasquatch. This new one actually uh, is in about the Men in Black, which you know we all three of us love because the whole phenomena behind Men in Black is baffling and just mysterious at the same time. Um, great insight. Uh, so this guy, Darcy Weir, we're about to have him on. I don't know if you guys got any inputs or anything with him. I, I Man, he's just full of full of info, full of uh, opinion, what he thinks, what he's seen, his interviews, just very well-rounded in my opinion. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, uh, it's, it's nice to talk about UFOs again. Yeah. 100%. Been a bit, been a bit for sure. As much as I'm the ghost guy. Yeah. I like a good UFO story. So good tale to tell, but anyway, that's coming up everybody. Uh, hopefully you enjoy it again. This is Darcy. Weir. uh, open the gates. <laughs> So in the past, we stumbled on an amazing individual by the name of Darcy Weir that has been neck deep in the world of high strangers for a very long time. We had him back on in November 2020, where he discussed his documentary Sasquatch Among Wild Men, 
with Bigfoot researchers Shane Corson and David Ellis. Since then, he has been quite busy writing, producing, and directing films that cover, cover everything from crop circles to UFOs to cryptids to abductions to everything in between. Uh, Darcy has captured all subjects that we love here on Strange Uncles. He has interviewed people such as Stephen Bassett, Travis Walton, Stanton Friedman, Richard Dolan, Richard Sauter, Shane Ryan, and the list goes on. With a new film out on November 7th uh, called Who Saw the Man in Black and another film dropping in December, uh, we are ecstatic to have him back on to talk about all these, including his past work, uh, his continued work, and anything else that's going to pop up in the conversation in between. Darcy Weir, welcome to Strange Uncles. Hey, Shane, Josh, John. Happy to be here, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, excited. Uh, Men in Black is one of my favorite aspects of the phenomenon, so I'm I'm excited to get into it and chop it up. Sweet. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. it really is one of the most uh, intriguing parts of the phenomenon for myself as well. It's just all the stories that surround it is just so weird. Just, I- it's hard, yeah. to put, hard to put a finger on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we try to, in this documentary, put a, a finger on it, so to speak. Um, and we start from basically the very first Men in Black spoken of uh, occurrence that, that happened ar- surrounding a famous UFO um, event around Maury Island, you know, just off the coast of, uh, of uh, Washington State there. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in 1947, and then we kind of go through from then to now. And uh, each decade, we, we highlight basically a major um, event that happened in terms of reporting on uh, – a men in black sighting or, or, or occurrence that happened after a major UFO sighting that, that was credible. I, I think we, I wrote the script and I wanted to go over the most credible UFO events, you know, um, everything from the Maury Island event to, uh, even the Rendlesham forest, oh. um, Event, yeah, and I had John Burroughs discuss with me, you know, uh, how he f- sort of re- recollected what happened after um, each time he went out into the field and there was a UFO um, encounter. And uh, every time he came back to the base, he basically was kind of debriefed and, uh, yeah. The, the strange thing with him was that um, the first night that he went out with Jim Penniston and, and those guys, uh, I think Ed Kapansak is the other guy. Yeah. Um, they like, he doesn't really remember this happening, but multiple witnesses to him returning to the base said as soon as they pulled up um, and there was a female driver kind of escorting them um they basically were greeted by men in black men in plain black suits Mm -hmm. um and supposedly were even wearing sunglasses and they were taken off to a room um and interviewed and jim penniston he was subjected to apparently that he said later on after he had sort of a 
a hypnosis session, um, he said that he was subjected to sodium pentothal, uh, you know, the truth serum, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and um, he was just heavily grilled by these men when he got back to the base. Um, and John doesn't remember any of that. So he says, you know, was my mind wiped or, or was it, this just the experience that only uh, possibly Kapansak and, and uh, Jim had? He doesn't know, but he, he remembers uh, things a bit differently. So I don't know. I, I think the, the really interesting thing about the whole lore behind the men in black is that it always seems to follow this tried and true, you know, uh, pattern of someone has an incredible UFO experience. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's even uh, contact experience. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Um, Afterwards, it doesn't take much time, but they're usually greeted at their home or their work by some mysterious person that usually knows a lot about the event um, even though the experiencer may not have even spoken a word yet to anybody they know, or very few people at that. that and, and what that, happens yeah. usually is um, the subject uh, of this sort of experience is going to be um, asked to recollect everything they know about the event. And then they're told, okay, well, it, if you talk about this, these things might happen to you. So there's threats. Um, oftentimes, there have been people that have reported having trace evidence from sometimes UFO events like slag material or something like that. Uh, mm. And that is usually confiscated or... Um, these men in black, so to speak, are instructing the person to give it to them. Uh, and if they don't, life is going to get harder, you know, for them, their so, families and everything else. Like it's, it's a weird, you know, it's a weird dichotomy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's, a, well, not, first of all, you know, you mentioned Rendlesham. So we covered Rendlesham. Um, a lot of, that's a very strange case. And, and John, you know, you know more, so you read the book about it. Um, I just have everything unfolded. And then of course, you know, a bunch of years later, they came out with, you know, things that weren't, wasn't said originally. And so what you're saying with that necessarily kind of, you know, lines up with what that is. But I, I think the one thing that fascinates us is like you mentioned timing, how quick, like, you know, have a witness that sees something, literally these guys, supposedly men in black are there within like the next day or possibly within hours, depending on what the case is. And they know everything. They got everything net mapped out, wiped out. Like it, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird thing. Like how, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, this, this isn't just recently that people report that, you know, and, and if anybody, uh, you know, does a little bit of research, just looks at the world that we live in today. We're surrounded by technology that can monitor everything we're doing, right? It's kind of scary. We're yeah. living in yep. 
this like almost 1984 George Orwell uh, type of world. It's not dystopic yet. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the technology is there for grand surveillance, you know, for, for surveillance on a scale that we've never seen before. Mm. But if you look at men in black accounts, you know, go back to the Howard Dahl incident. Like I mentioned, uh, the Maury Island mm. UFO mm-hmm. incident, Howard Dahl experienced this in 1947 and right. he was out on his boat with his dog and, and son. And they saw a number of UFOs overhead. One of them seemed to lose stability. Um, and it seemed to release a bunch of material into the ocean and onto the boat. And uh, supposedly from what the accounts were killed his dog in the process mm-hmm. and injured his son. The next day, you know, he, he had some of this slag material. Uh, he kept it. And the next day um, he was in a diner and a man approached him while he was sitting in this diner. And the man said, yesterday, this is what happened to you. I know all about it. Hmm. Um, you know, basically recalled everything as if this man was on the boat with them and said, don't speak a word of this to the public, you know, and, and the typical um, sort of threat tactics. And you got to be wondering how in 1947 did they have the surveillance intelligence, equipment, tactics, you know, what have you in order to have somebody show up the next day and say, shut up to a witnesser, you know, to a, to an experiencer. So it's crazy. It's kind of crazy, you know, and and it, it, it predates all of this sort of like police state technology that we have now, but there's so much evidence that, when people experience something that's extremely anomalous that kind of defies the reality of what we should have in terms of technology or, um, you know, our sort of paradigm of thinking as, as, you know, are, are we actually alone in the universe? Um, that sort of Orwellian police state, uh, you know, presence shows its ugly face and and it keeps showing it its face throughout history yeah yeah absolutely was is that the earliest case that well that you're aware of you know for the with the documentary was that 1947 was a it seemed to me and i could be wrong but kenneth arnold i thought had some visitations after his witnessing uh mount rainier but i i don't I, i'm not 100 yeah. if that's accurate yes yes kenneth kenneth arnold did uh, we talk about Kenneth Arnold in the documentary um, briefly. Um, he saw that sort of half uh, disc shaped object mm-hmm. um, and started presenting on that. And um, the interesting thing is that, you know, the, there was a fiction invasion film made based off of his book 
and his experience. Really? Um, yeah. In the 1940s, and he was absolutely, you know, he was completely and utterly destroyed because of that, because it it basically made a farce of a real encounter, right? Uh. And, um, you know, this is well documented. He even wrote to the filmmakers and said, I want you to take my name off any involvement with the film and so on and so forth. And they didn't do that. Um, But he that the fact that that event got fictionalized so quick it kind of shows that we have a system where very often um reality can be fictionalized through mass media you know right, right. The, the the hollywood film sort of uh circuit and um we even saw that with Travis Walton's, you know, fire in the sky, mm-hmm. his actual account of that situation is very much different from the sort of horror movie that was produced. Yeah. And it just shows that, um, you know, if to me, if you're not using a man in black to, to go out and debunk something or, or shut down, the truth about an event that happens in terms of the UFO subject, you can always use mass media. Sure. uh, Yeah. Especially these days. Mm -hmm. Just make it seem fanciful and just completely distort the story. Pulls a credibility right out of it. You know, at that point, it's like law and order ripped from the headlines, but changed just (laughs) enough that you can't sue. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and the um, interesting thing, you know, about that is that, people will then often remember the fictionalized version of that tale. Yes. Then they, so they, then they, yeah. they go, Oh, fire in the sky. Mm-hmm. Are you, you mean that horror movie with a bunch of like B level actors? Like, Oh, that was, I thought that was cool. You know, like yeah. I didn't know that that was a real event. That's based on a real event. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah well, I, I always knew that cause I grew up loving that movie. It terrified me. Um, it's one of my favorite movies growing up, but I always knew that it was based on a true story or whatever, but in my kid brain, before I even got really into mm-hmm. like investigating any of this stuff or anything like that, um, I thought that's just the way the story went, you know, yeah. essentially yeah. until like, you know, I read the actual book fire in the sky and everything, but yeah, for a long time, I just thought that that's how it was. Well, and my it's, favorite, yeah. favorite part of that movie was when he's on the ship and he wakes up in this kind of like skin skin capsule and like yeah. breaks out of it and then <laughs> yeah. says hi to his neighbor and his neighbor's like only like half eaten or something mm-hmm. and then he eventually like finds a floating alien like suit and when yeah. he lifts the mask he sees the aliens actually chilling in there and he kicks him in the face and i was like <laughs> Travis did you really kick an alien in the face yeah right <laughs> Uh, and is, he's yeah, got to do with that. What yeah. happened in the in in his accounting of the story? You know? No, not at all. He was in that room. Yeah, there was no. Yeah. There was no. Got in the hallway, like yeah. yeah, yeah. There was no zero gravity experience. It was yeah. all yeah. like just him walking around a yeah. normal gravity yeah. 
shit. Well, isn't that weird? It's trying to figure out how the hell to get out of there, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's almost like a weird, twisted version of the Mandela effect. You know, you get these shows out there, these movies that, you know, they're planting the seed. It's not the correct story. It sticks in everybody's head. And at that point, that's what's the truth. And you're not going to tell them otherwise unless you really try to do the research behind it. You know, I mean, I, it's just I crazy. I'm pretty sure that's what Kenneth Arnold was worried about mm-hmm. when um, – he saw that this bad Hollywood uh, sort of basically thriller invasion film was going to come out. Um, He wanted his name struck from it and he wanted to, to get back the rights, but it didn't work out in his favor that way. Um, Maybe by design so that people would only remember the fictionalized version of, of what he was writing about and reporting about. And yeah, that happened in the 1940s. Um, and and we talk about the Maury Island incident, which also happened in the 1940s. And in the documentary, we go every decade, we kind of cover one major story, you know, the 50s, the 60s, the right, 70s, right. the 80s, the 90s, right up until now. So so that, that, I guess you're, you're kind of approaching on my question on that. You know, we asked about one of the oldest, which again, Kenneth Arnold. I wasn't sure, but you know, if that's the case, uh, what's the most recent? If we look at that, that you've you strung on. Well, we discussed a event that happened in I think 2013 that was um, basically happened at a over top of a, a. Sorry, wait. The Men in Black visited a hotel in the American side of the Niagara Falls region. Hmm. And um, it was after a experiencer recorded a video of a massive UFO hovering over the falls the night before. Um, And they looked apparently identical. Um, They were intimidating the people that were working like the hotel clerks said that they seemed to look inhuman. Like they didn't have eyebrows. They had massive eyes, like bigger than normal human eye proportions, very blue colored. Apparently Hmm. they're really tall. They didn't seem to have any hair. Um, And they were wearing like, you know, the fedora hats and, and like black long, suit coats and such. And there's actually some video that's public record that we use from the security cameras of that um, event that happened in Niagara Falls. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah I think I've seen this. Um, just the two guys walking in the hotel. Uh, exactly. I, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, isn't there some like uh, like hotel dialogue, like some recording from some lady that worked at the hotel about that incident? There's a couple people. Um, there's testimony from an individual who talked about, you know, basically being harassed by the men in black the next day because they were looking for the individual that took the, the footage mm-hmm. at his work, but he wasn't working that day. He'd called in sick. So, you know, it, it's that in hot pursuit sort of, testimony that we always hear about that there's um sort of these dubious 
like tactics to track down experiencers and quickly subvert their story, intimidate them, take their uh, footage, pictures, you name it. And, um, you know, in the documentary, just to mention pictures, for example, mm-hmm. we interviewed uh, or I interviewed Richard Doty. I was going to bring oh, yeah. him up, actually. So yeah. yeah. Glad you did. And, you know, it's it's interesting because we always hear men in black sightings. I mean, if you read any of uh, the, the, the books or literature on men in black, um, there's, there always seems to be sort of an inhuman element, but then there's obviously a human element. Like the guy that showed up after the Maury Island incident, I'm pretty sure was some kind of intelligence agent. Um, Hmm. Richard Doty, uh, was formerly with the Air Force OSI, you know, the um, Office of Special Investigations. And his job, literally, during the 1980s, was to go out and find witnesses that had taken pictures or had, um, you know, witnessed something that was anomalous in nature and looked like a UFO. And most of the time he says those UFOs were ours. They were top secret, you know, black budget, military, uh, experimental aircraft that were being worked on, uh, test flown. And the interesting thing is that, I'm pretty sure whenever you see these sort of test flight operations, they're, they're, you know, the UFO is usually being tracked by some kind of traditional uh, military airplanes, right? Right, right. And what's likely is that the military airplanes are outfitted with all kinds of tracking cameras um, and maybe even satellites are used to get telemetry of where these things are going and, and how they're going. And because of that sort of tracking that they have, whenever they test fly some of these things, they know everybody that's in the area. You know, they know that let's say they flew it over a mountain range and there was only a handful of hikers in the area and a few of them had cameras and a few of them looked up, saw the object snapped a few pics, you know, had a mention to each other, what the hell was that kept on going with their hiking. And then they end up back at their home. The next day they wake up, knock, 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 Richard Doty (laughs) and two other men are at the door and they say, Hey guys, um, we wanted to introduce ourselves. We're from the office of special investigations for the uh, United States Air Force. Um, We heard that in this area, there was possibly some um, objects that were witnessed in the past two days by some people. And we were just wondering if you may have encountered anything when you were out and about, you know, going about your, your day. Mm -hmm. Usually the witnesses will say, well, (laughs) 
That's really interesting that you say that. Actually, yesterday, <laughs> it just so happened. I was out. Yeah, it just so <laughs> happened. I was on a hiking trip with my friends and, you know, we had a few drinks and yada, yada. We look up, up at the sky and we see this incredible object. So Richard Doty says to us that it was his job to convince experiencers what you saw was not of this world. We think it might be an alien, you know, technology or some kind of, you know, and that's, that's basically what he did with Paul Benowitz. Hmm. Right. Yeah, convinced them that there were aliens at the base or the, at the Dulce, New Mexico base. Yeah. And, yeah. and, yeah. and he was uh, intercepting information from the Kirkland air force base, which, you know, if, if everybody does a bit of research, that's the perfect candidate air force base for all kinds of UFO activity that might be ours. Yeah. It might also be a convenient place for some of those to land that who knows, maybe they're not ours, but the, the point being here is that Richard Dolan, or sorry, not Richard Dolan, Richard Doty, <laughs> Richard Dolan's a good guy. Yeah. yeah. Richard, <laughs> Richard Doty. Um, you know, it, it was their, modus operandi to uh, infiltrate these these uh, experiencers uh, homes and then gather evidence, you know, get the pictures or whatever that they snapped from their experience away from them Mm -hmm. and to convince them it's not ours. It's alien. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Right. And if they didn't give that stuff up quickly, there was usually some harassment and other tactics to get that uh, evidence away from them. Right. Yeah, he's what always do you th- been a bit of a dubious character to me just because like, if you believe anything that he's saying that he did then now, then you can't, you kind of can't believe anything he says he's doing now because he's That's- basically like, I was a mm-hmm. professional liar for 40 years. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Like how, uh, I don't know. He's just such a polarizing character. And I feel like he's like putting on this like nice grandpa perception now. And I've heard people like, Oh, he's a really nice guy, but it's like so hard to tell. Like, okay, maybe he's being <laughs> truthful him? about like why, yeah. like, you know, he's being truthful about what he did. Cause now he's retired or whatever, but like, what is his agenda to still be sticking around this topic? Yeah. Is now, it still just another exactly. disinformation op, you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you ever really retire from that kind of a thing? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm with you guys. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. And that's kind of the scary part. I mean, like uh, my, my recollection from when I met him in person and conducted the interview was that he was very honest. He seemed very forthright. He, you know, volunteered to give me all the information I wanted to know about possible credible men in black tactics, um, the human side, so to speak. And, um, and I think in my experience, I, I've met all kinds of people and interviewed all kinds of people throughout uh, the past 10 plus years when trying to make these documentaries and, um, he seems 
honest about what he's saying, but um, there's no way for me to pin down if everything he's saying doesn't have a motive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could very well be, you know, he says he's retired and he was presenting at the conference where I interviewed him. Actually, he was presenting at the uh, UFO mega conference in early 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he says that the stuff he was presenting on are things that don't um, break the, uh, what do you call it? The like non-disclosure agreement that he had. The, the NDAs. Yeah, yeah. 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 With, with basically That's... the Air Force and so on and so forth. Yeah. It's all like declassified or, or was never classified kind of situation. Yeah, that sort of thing. Like I can talk about this now because it's it's out there in the public, and it, it's also not breaching my, um, you know, my security, right? But the yeah. just just that in that uh, very statement where you're saying you're worried about breaching your security, and you <laughs> but you say you're retired. Right. It's like, yeah. are yeah. you true? Are you truly retired? And and the only thing. I'm, I'm a bit of a, you know, slightly paranoid guy. I worry that, you know, is, is he kind of part of the UFO community? I mean, he lectures at so many of these big conferences now mm-hmm. is, and he's interviewed, you know, in, in many different documentaries. I mean, he was even in um, the Showtime UFO yeah. series oh, by J.J. Yeah. Abrams, yeah. right? Yeah, that's and you huge. can even hear somebody saying in the background, like, how can we tell, like, you know, you're not lying about this or whatever. And you can't. Yeah, that's you the, can't. That's the yeah, truth. You just yeah. gotta, I mean, yeah. you have to go with your gut on this. And, and that, that's the real sad thing about um, this whole topic and disclosure, you know, uh, I was speak doing a number of speaking engagements on some other sort of docs that I, I worked on with Stephen Bassett and I love oh. Stephen Bassett. I think he's a great guy and yep. he's working in Washington and flying around all around the country to talk about uh, the UFO subject and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah we had him and on. Just, he, he's amazing. He's amazing at what he's trying to get accomplished on Capitol Hill. I mean, it, it's, it's insane. So his yeah. uh, paradigm research group, I think, correct, Stephen Bassett. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what I'm trying to get at with with his whole thing is that he's been saying disclosure is coming for a long time, and he keeps saying, you know, oh, Obama's going to be the disclosure president, Biden's going to be the disclosure president. You know, right. some people thought Trump was going to be the the disclosure president, and in, in my mind, just my own logic. I don't think there is such a thing as a disclosure president. There never will be. I think the only way that we get disclosure is from the source that truly has all of the information and the power. And that has to be the defense department, the, you know, uh, military that has been collecting the data and uh, protecting the truth on this subject all along. The whole time. And I mean, the defense industry has been, studying this phenomenon for 70 plus years. I mean, mm-hmm. since at least 47, regardless if it's in an official, like sign grudge blue book, right. You right. know, regard, like even in when those have been shut down, there's not a doubt in my mind that they've been collecting data on all of this. 
Yeah, we hear about a tip, and we're like, "Oh, that's new," and it's like, "Nah, it's not new." Really, no, no, that's not new. Yeah, tip doesn't exist. <laughs> formed from OSAP, uh-huh. which was the original where the original twenty-two million went. Um, yeah, do, what do you think about disclosure? Do you think disclosure is here? Do you think like we have it now? I think um, that we'll never truly have it until we actually get confirmation from like the Pentagon or, or some kind of uh, executive branch of the military or uh, an intelligence agency. Right. Like Mm. for me, that is the smoking gun and it always will be, you know, if there was a press conference held, where we have some high ranking military officials saying that are currently active, not like retired ones. Um, but some currently active guys saying, look, uh, we, you know, in quotations here, you know, I'm just paraphrasing, but like we've started looking at this phenomenon recently, you know, as if, if people, had no idea that they've been looking at this phenomenon since, you know, the, the early 1940s. Um, and it's come to our attention that maybe not all of them are weather balloons and uh, atmospheric or, you know, some other, uh, you know, uh, astro astrophysical sort of object, whatever, mm-hmm. Um, we're starting to realize that there's things in our aerospace that are not from our military arsenal and not from any foreign arsenal and are intelligently controlled and defy, you know, anything that we can describe, whether it's top secret or not. Mm-hmm. That would be kind of like disclosure to me, just because yeah. they're the ones that I and and I would still be kind of skeptical because I'd be like, well, why would the military ever want the public to know the truth about this? You know, that, they've had such a nasty sort of hand in covering it up since the beginning. So why would they kind of come out and and acknowledge it to the fullest extent? Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it's like you kind of got to double down at this point. You've been so shitty all <laughs> these years. Many, yeah. It's like, yep. you go back on that now, like, the public already doesn't trust you. What's that going to do to the public's trust then? That, that's exactly, exactly it. You're going to have so much egg on your face at that point that, you know, th- there's yeah. no way. I mean, that, and that's not strategic either, if you think about it, like what the military represents. That just isn't, that's not the move that the whole theory of the military, it just defies all of that. And I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to get to that point. Um, but it, I'll tell you what, so Darcy, if you don't mind, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Um, want to pick your mind a little bit more about this new documentary and hopefully we have some time to go into uh, some of the other past ones and kind of, you know, what you enjoy doing, you know, what you enjoy focusing on, how these come up. Um, so if you, if you don't mind, bear with us. Uh, we'll be right back. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality? Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. 
Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, and we're back with Darcy Weir. Um, so I had a question in regards to, and again, this is more of a personal thing, I think, on your side, but you seems you're very open on, on you know, what you think and how you see things going. We touch back a bit when we talk about um, Richard Doty and, you know, he classifies, look, what you see was alien craft, alien origin. It wasn't one of ours. Your opinion on what do you think we have that may be ours versus it came, it's coming from somewhere else. What's your whole uh, opinion on that matter? Sure. Um, you know, the best, I guess the best cases that look like something that, that probably isn't ours um, are the space related ones. And the, the ones that, kind of stick out for me are like STS mission videos where we see things flying above the earth. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think the Tic Tac is not ours when people, um, tried to explain away the Tic Tac or go fast video, um, as you know, probably some kind of top secret, uh, military technology or, you know, uh, private corporation technology that that has been building stuff for the military. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the Tic Tac meets that specification because I think we're still dealing when it comes to UFOs with traditional forms and shapes that we've seen, but they just got even more uh, triangular. So, right. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the TR3B. That's the infamous, uh, possible black triangle, black Black. triangle, uh, secret spacecraft that was really a space platform built to travel around our solar system and possibly go to another one. If, if they, if they refine the technology enough to jump across, uh, to another star system, but I, d- I definitely think that we have gotten to the point to make technology that can run around our solar system and look at different planets secretly. Mm-hmm. And we still think that they're shooting up uh, fossil fuel rockets, you know, with astronauts in a tin can, and they're going to take their 300 day voyage to Mars and stuff. Like, I, I think that's, really it, that shows how controlled the information is and, and shows how dumb most people are about the actual technology that is probably out there in black budget projects yeah. that the military has tested out. Um, you know, the TR3B was built to take large amounts of personnel. Like it was like a floating apartment, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was, it, apparently had a mess hall and could take a tank and stuff to space. So Mm. it wasn't, uh, you know, this tiny three lights in the sky. Right. Right. But I, I think, 
as and, and the TR3B apparently made its maiden voyage from some of the experts I spoke to. Um, so just to let you know, I am actually releasing a TR3B documentary uh, with Tyler Glockner of the secure team fame, the YouTuber Mm -hmm. in December. So it's kind of like two docs back to back in the next two months, but. Oh, awesome. um, Awesome. Yeah. And we could talk about that another time a bit more in detail, but, um, you know, the TR3B apparently made its maiden flight in 1979. And yeah. (laughs) And, and if you think about that, you know, um, supposedly, we only had B2 bomber stealth technology in like 1982, which right. is just a super loud jet fuel uh, operated craft that could go at really high altitudes, um, had special anti, um, you know, sonar and anti um, detection technologies in airspace um, from radar and all that stuff. And, and that's great. That's great technology and it had its purpose and it was, uh, definitely used in, you know, the, well, the F-117, which is a stealth fighter, which a lot of the technology that was refined in the B-2 bomber ended up in the, um, F-117. Right. Right. That was used bombing Baghdad you know, in the Iraq war. So we've seen these black budget crafts eventually come to the public and eventually um, get tested out in real world scenarios. But um, the technology that's behind these crafts, although very sophisticated, is still very archaic. And you've got to wonder, have we if we had something that was super, super top secret, like the TR-3B, which apparently used reverse engineered uh, sort of alien technology, superconductor anti-gravitic technology, um, could these same sort of military industrial contractors like Lockheed Martin or Northrop Grumman, could they have refined that technology to the point that we now have small drones that use the same sort of form and function and anti-gravitic technology to shoot around space, to shoot around the planet. They're operated by agencies like the NRO, the National Mm -hmm. Reconnaissance Office, Office, which would have, you know, the most business operating those types of drones because... This is an agency uh, that's in charge of gathering information about foreign adversaries and being in space in a matter of minutes and possibly another, you know, minute, a few minutes on the other side of the globe, taking a look at something that we're interested in. Right. Mm -hmm. So that that's where my logic goes to when it comes to man-made craft Um, and I've spoken to a bunch of, you know, military folks that have, and, and other researchers that, you know, physicists and stuff that have looked into the TR3B seriously and stuff. 
Um, and it all kind of stacks up. So it doesn't take much of an imagination, a logical imagination to draw a conclusion that we have UFOs that look like black, silent, low flying and high altitude and space capable um, triangles. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to things like a cigar shaped UFO, like everybody calls the Tic Tac, uh, that's, that's just what, uh, is it Major David Fravor? Fravor. Yeah. He, he nicknamed it a Tic Tac. And I was like slapping my forehead, like, dude, have you ever heard of the cigar shaped UFO phenomenon? <laughs> like, come I don't on. think he has. <laughs> I don't think he has. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like That's if funny. he saw a disc shaped craft, was he going to call it a flying donut? Like, is it just whatever he was hungry for at that moment? <laughs> well, that, well, that name stuck at this point. I don't think it's going to go away. You know, so we just hear that. about Tic Tacs all the time, but yeah, for yeah. years, you know, and even speaking with Richard Dolan, uh, he has a report in like the Northwest territories of Canada dating back to the 1800s of a Tic Tac or in other words, a cigar shaped UFO. I was going to say, there's also been some things that I've caught in uh, like old, old pictures. Like we're, we're talking 17th, 18th century pictures. And there's something in the back that looks cigar shaped or something like it, they've, been there it seems like they've always and maybe it was just something artists threw in there i i don't know but there's some pretty famous ones out there of things that can't be explained i mean we talk about 1940s was when you know kenneth arnold and all that other stuff but you know there there were sightings there was one in texas and and i don't know john josh Vida, like 1856 or 1860 somewhere where they they claimed that they that it crash landed they have it buried in the local cemetery and and it was a thing, and people just kind of forget about those, you know, from from back then. Yeah, I don't really. I don't, I'm not sure yeah. which one you're talking yeah. about from Texas, oh, but yeah, um, I think I would say it was near talking, Alamo. Are you talking about the Aurora crash I think of 1897? I believe so. That might be the one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I mean, like we weren't, to my knowledge, and it, they called that a torpedo shaped sphere cruised through the sky right mm. and i think that's well texas has had a number of ufo they have um, events yeah. right yeah i think in 1957 there was um one event and in 1897 was the aurora texas ufo incident um did we have UFO sort of technology that existed in 1897. I think no. Yeah. I, don't, um, I think that'd be a stretch. Yeah. And I think when we talk about flying discs, flying cigars, uh, Tic Tacs, flying orbs, like just perfect spheres of light or perfect metallic spheres that are quite large or quite small, I don't know. I mean, maybe today we might have some breakthroughs where we're starting to get the technology to fly that doesn't require, um, you know, a triangular or wing formed uh, aircraft. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're getting there, you know, but 
I, I don't think in 1897 we did. And I think a lot of the early accounts of discs, cigar-shaped orbs, um, these definitely seem alien in nature to alien, me. Alien in nature base, yeah. Yeah. And they're always being shot down by a bunch of douchey humans. So there you go. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I have a question in regards to, you talk about reverse engineering, you talk about, you know, hey, we don't know what technology we have, you know, 30, 40 years into the future, whatever have you, then all of a sudden something comes out. Um, where do you think, or or do you think, I guess, that the organization, the DARPA, do you think DARPA has any play in some of this, or you think it's strictly a DOD type thing? Because DARPA has had some pretty unique, you know, very, very advanced earlier on. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, it's, you know, it, it's mass produced, you know, and, and it's 20, 30 years from what they've been researching to where it comes to the mainframe. And I don't know what, what your theories are, if you have any, as far as DARPA goes. Yeah, no, um, you know, I even show uh some schematics for the HVT, a DARPA triangular, black triangular vehicle that was made to be launched into space um, and then travel around the planet and land on a target, you know, probably blowing Mm. it up. That's a DARPA vehicle, the HVT. So Mm. yeah, all like pretty much all of these high science, military, industrial complex um, organizations, whether they're private or they're strictly military, um, they, they've all had their hand at one point throughout history in building a black triangle that can go into space or can, you know, circumvent the, the globe and, and take a look at a foreign uh, adversary's stuff. You know, I, mm-hmm. that's my opinion. I think DARPA definitely, um, there's so much evidence that they've been involved in a lot of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. I know. wonder if they, I wonder if like the triangle is from human imagination or if, you know, somehow we've been visited by actual, you know, extraterrestrial triangle craft. And that's kind of what sparked that idea. Like it's a very stable flight surface. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Right. I mean, the plane's already triangular. Like, it would make sense to go in that shape, but I don't know. Maybe like the chicken or the egg kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think the propulsion system is what's important when you look at these sort of triangles. If they're anti-gravitic, there seems to be something that lifts it in the middle and then thrusters at each corner. Um, some Some people may even say that we've gone past the need for thrusters and we might just be like riding on gravity waves, like artificial gravity waves that are uh, programmed in a certain direction by a computer system. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we don't even need pilots, you know, we don't yeah. need pilots yeah. anymore. Look yeah. at all, at all the wars, how we've been fighting overseas. It's by a bunch of like video game nuts sitting inside of a war room, uh, you Launch, know, launching drones comp- and missile attacks. With, yeah. Yeah. With yeah. a computer screen in front yeah. of them. And they're very good at uh, using the controller and operating those things. So mm-hmm. um, do, do we have a version of that where these same sort of computer pilots are flying something into space? Maybe. Yeah, 
seems very possible at least absolutely this day and age for sure yeah, yeah. yeah i mean uh, i had a neighbor that uh worked out at dugway this military base in utah in the desert and he's yeah just flew drones in the middle east from dugway that's crazy like there you go yeah there you clear, go yeah clear across the world you know there you go yeah. and and you know you know to your question with had had we gotten some if you look at Bob Lazar's testimony, right? Mm-hmm. The sports, yeah. the sports model. Not everybody fully believes the Bob Lazar story, but um, the form and function is there. There's a right. anti-gravitic engine. There's three sort of. Uh, if you look at the craft, I mean, you can even bring it up on Google. The supposed schematics of the sports model model mm-hmm. but you see three um in a triangular sort of tripod um round tipped engines that poke out of the bottom of that craft and if you're a human reverse engineering team and you look at that and you're going okay, how do we take these three propulsion systems that are shaped in a triangular form at the bottom of this, this off-world craft? How do we reprodu- reproduce something like that um, with our own model? Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. You've got yeah. the three in a triangular pattern. They can be um, supposedly oriented to a certain um, configuration so that the ship was hovering or the ship could move in a certain direction fast. And apparently it made like a coronal sort of uh, illuminated um, force field around it when it was like Mm -hmm. doing a certain configuration. Cool. Right. But it's just the fact that you got those three in a triangular form that leads me to think some of these intelligent reverse engineering guys we're like, okay, well, why don't we put one of these thrusters or anti-gravitic um, systems at the corner of this each corner right. of this triangle, right? In a larger, in a larger form frame type setup, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Um, so, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just so Darcy. I've been looking at your IMDb, and it is. Pretty impressive. You have been a very busy man. <laughs> you yeah, that's what I was going to cover this, this past <laughs> yeah. ten years. Where, so where do you find the time to do all these, uh, uh, these projects? And also, like, how do you decide on like, yes, this is this is something I want to cover. Yeah, you've read or my like, mind, John. God, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, I originally popped on your podcast and we talked about the Sasquatch among wild men, that documentary and the whole theory of relic. Mm-hmm. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if, if it's true that some kind of relic hominid, this ape like man or, or something that stands upright and looks like a forest dwelling gorilla creature is possibly stalking the woods of North America and, and other civilizations around the world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Russia, China, mm-hmm. they all yeah. have their own wild man. Right. And it's, 
I don't know. I, I think I've just always been interested in what if, but what if it's true? And um, I never really was attracted to the sort of cryptid subject matter that I came to that later. Um, but I, I think just through sort of studying in university and taking a astrobiology course um, that this one I took was called life in the universe and you kind of go over the Drake equation and, mm-hmm. and all this sort of like probabilities, the, the realistic probabilities that we're not alone in the universe. You know, it, it's so interesting because that's being taught in university, but then mass media has these guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye showing up Just saying, it we're alone, we're yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah. It's bull. Yeah. There's no such thing as UFOs from uh, outer space and yada, yada, yada. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's so weird because these guys obviously went to university and would have had to take way more advanced versions of the course that I took. And in the course I took, they're saying, guys, we're not alone. The probability is real. Um, But these like mass media pundits are constantly hammering us in the head saying we're alone, we're alone, we're alone. And we don't have technology that can that can do anything except for shoot a rocket into into the sky. Um, so I get attracted to the ideas that are on the fringe. Basically, I, I gotcha. like this sort of stuff because it really challenges um, the everyday paradigm. And I, I'm sure you guys are attracted to that stuff too. Obviously, yeah, for but sure. like. I hate it. I can't stand this stuff. I'm just, I'm just I try to, to pay I the try bills. to do it justice. That's <laughs> yeah, all I'm right. trying to say. You know, I don't yeah. want to like produce another hoo-ha crazy documentary. I want to like look at it with a, I guess like a really good thinker's cap and say mm-hmm. like, look, here's some evidence. Here's some evidence. Here's some evidence. Um, and just kind of take people down a logical Mm-hmm. Um, road when examining things like could cryptids be real? Mm-hmm. Are men in black going around throughout history and you know operating from different um, intelligence agencies and military agencies to protect the public from knowing the truth about? You, the UFO subject. What's really there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was, I, I, sorry to interrupt you. I just thought of this question and you might answer it in, uh, in the documentary who saw the men in black, but would you say in your research and your studying of this topic, do you think the men in black are from one, for lack of a better term, like agency or one thing, or do you think species? there should be multiple types of men in black from like kind of different, I don't know how to phrase this question, but like, are they all, are the men in black part of one thing or could they be different things? But kind of, does that make sense? I'm I'm shaping that question horribly. No, it totally makes sense. And I'll get to it. Josh, did you want to say something? I was just going to piggyback onto that and say, like circling back to the uncanny Valley um, inhuman aspect of the men in black that you were talking about earlier. Uh, like if in John Keel's research and writings and everything, you you come across story after story of 
uh, of them being off in some way where like sometimes they look like a straight up reanimated corpse. Sometimes they look like they've got weird robot attachments poking out of their pants. And sometimes they seem like just regular people. Um, and, and I was wondering, and I think this is kind of gets to what, uh, John was asking was like, do you think maybe there's like two separate things running where there's like the weird supernatural men in black that are maybe popping out of the phenomenon and then the government agents, or do you think maybe they're like all kind of the same thing? And if, if, if the inhuman aspect of them is, if you think that they're all like one government agency or, or just at least from the government, whether it's multiple agencies or not, uh, do you think that that inhuman aspect is like a, a, a some kind of um, threatening tactic or like what would be the point of that if they're all from the same place? Right. So I think it's information control is the number one objective from all of these encounters, you know, regardless of whether it being a non-human supposed men in black incident or a straight up human men in black incident. Um, and I'll just give you some background on that. And to your question, John, um, are they from one single intelligence control group or something like that? Um, no, I think they're from whichever group it's in the best interest at that time to circumvent and close and quiet that certain incident you know mm -hmm. it seems that way at least i'll give you an example right so we have the the strange albert k bender story that seemed to be a non-human uh, incident albert k bender he started a flying saucer research group and and had a international um basically a uh, publication that was talking about flying saucers well before a lot of different um, sort of mainstream uh, researchers were going about this and, and looking into UFOs, right? Um, he shut down that publication and shut down the organization it was all civilian run out of nowhere. He just reported it. And this was early in the history. Um, he wrote, a, he basically a book came out called flying saucers and the three men by um, Gray Barker and Albert K. Bender and Albert K. Bender. Uh, this came out in 1953. And he basically said, look, the reason why I shut down that organization that was doing super well, you know, it had uh, counterparts in Australia, and, and this is an American man. It had uh, research groups in the UK, whatever. He shut it down overnight because he said one night he was sitting inside of his home and three shadowy figures just sort of appeared and they had glowing eyes and they looked incredibly non-human and they had this sort of shadowy black attire um, and they wore black hats um, and they said to him, 
stop your research group, stop looking into this subject. We need you to basically shut up. Hmm. And um, the reason why apparently was because this group that was visiting him were of a um, extraterrestrial origin and they were doing a clandestine mining operation in, in, in Antarctica. Okay. As odd as that sounds. Um, and they didn't want, you know, UFOs to blow up because maybe some of their activity was going to be tracked. Um, and that would mess with their mission. They gave him a medallion when he, uh, you know, sometime later published this book, he said, when the medallion disappears, that's a message that I can talk about this. And that's when he published the book. Um, he said, okay, I've been given the green light. And so that's just another incident of a non-human. And so right there, the subversion and the tactic to shut somebody up about the UFO subject is quite clear, but that was an off-world group that was responsible for that men in black sighting. They probably knew maybe, um, you know, it's in our best interest to act upon this as quickly as possible. And we don't want to have the, some human intelligence agency uh, be involved in this because maybe it'll blow our cover. So we'll just go directly to the source and yada, yada. Right. So that's a uh, example of a non-human incident. And there's many more apparently that have happened throughout history that many people have reported on, but then you've got, um, you know, Richard Doty, he worked for the Air Force OSI. That's a distinct group. Then you've got um, the Japan Airlines incident that happened in the oh. 1980s. And that was with John, that. John Callahan. Okay. He worked for the FAA and he knew that this, this was an incredibly uh, prevalent and credible incident where uh, – Japan Airlines craft was chased basically in the sky by a massive UFO, which released two smaller objects and paced the plane and apparently shot, you know, beamed their uh, cockpit with light. And these pilots were extremely frightened. They conducted all these maneuvers to get out of the situation for over 30 minutes. Um, And, John Callahan said in his testimony to um, Stephen Greer's group, the Disclosure Project in the in the 90s, I think, or no, it was the early 2000s. Um, he said, you know, uh, we got called in by our, our, like the, everybody that was involved in that case was called in to have a meeting and the CIA was calling him to come and debrief and bring every document that he had. And when they went to that meeting, when the CIA showed up, what did they do? They took every document from every single person that that case had touched. Mm -hmm. And they told everybody in that room, you're never to speak of this again. This didn't happen. That's a men in black incident that follows exactly 
what we would describe as as a tactic of a man in black. And this time it came from the CIA. Has the FBI been involved in this type of uh, activity? I'm sure. Mm -hmm. It just depends on which agency needs to be dispatched to address uh, super, certain individuals, right? You know, if you have um, a man and wife sitting in their home and an FBI agent knocks on your door and shows shows their badge to you and then says, I need all the information you have on this incident and some slag that you recovered or whatever, you're probably going to be frightened and say, okay, this is an FBI agent. This is more than just a police officer showing up at my door. I'll give over my information. For this incident with John Callahan, he worked for the FAA. Yeah. The best agency to, to go after that is the CIA. Then they're like, whoa, yeah. this is serious. Shut we should probably down. shut it down. And the cool thing about him is that he kept his documents because he was like, oh. screw this. You know, like this is an incredible incident. And we shouldn't be giving away all of our stuff. And those documents eventually get published through um, the Disclosure Project, right? And you can see, you know, everything, the, all the, it, the, there was two different air traffic controllers that were able to track these objects when uh, the Japan Airlines um pilots were calling in there was a military air traffic controller on the case as well as uh the the standard uh air traffic controller for whoever was in alaska at the time so um yeah i think it's amazing to your question john is that men in black will take on the form of any intelligence agency any military agency that needs to cover up a situation that should not get to the public that that could destabilize or um, frighten the public in any way economically psychologically you know in in, any tactic totally makes sense yeah yeah that's amazing that's amazing. Darcy, we're running a little bit out of time, but I, I'll tell you, honestly, I mean, it, it's amazing. And listeners, you know, you know, we asked you earlier some of the things that you've been involved in. Um, I mean, God, the list, you know, crop circles, underground. So we mentioned Sasquatch, uh, of course, the new, um, you know, who who saw the men in black. Uh, it, it just, it's amazing what you, how long you've been doing this and, and how many things and the people you've worked with, the people you've talked to, the people you've interviewed. Um, I would assume you made some pretty good friends in the, in the process, I would think, on this stuff. Um you have a documentary come out in December. Is there anything past that? Anything on your bucket list that you, you, you just, you really haven't had a chance to bite into yet? Yeah. Um, I'm currently working on a, um, a Bitcoin documentary. I'm really interested in, uh, hmm. you know, the world of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. And I think pretty much we're at this precipice of, uh, web 3.0 taking over um interesting you know the inter- the old internet was launched in the 1980s and the new internet the new world of technology and apps and uh finance and and all that stuff is being launched right now we're experiencing it um it's a 
$2.3 million, $3 trillion industry right now. Um, to give a uh, sort of example, gold is a $9 trillion industry. Right. That's yeah. like the oldest asset class, you know, that everybody wanted for throughout history. Um, but I think this new asset class, this new technology class is going to be in everybody's lives every day, uh, you know, within the next five years in some form or function. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. And maybe there's a reason uh, China banned cryptocurrency <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's a thing. I, I've been looking into it a, a bit too, and it it's just absolutely is amazing. It's kind of a it's a scary thought, you know, to think about it. You know, once we they banned jump off they banned the internet too. Just so yeah. you know, yeah, you know, yeah. back when the internet first launched, they banned that, and then they relaunched it with their own super mm-hmm. um, censored version, right? You know, super yeah. controlled version. So the same thing is happening with cryptography, with blockchain. They banned Bitcoin and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's temporary. It's all coming back. They're even talking about allowing miners to possibly come back to uh, the country. The the, uh, industry might come back there because they're looking at how it's all gone to the United States, places like Texas, um, you know, even some of the miners just drove up to Kazakhstan because that's just on the border there. And they're firing up their server mining warehouses there and Mm -hmm. it's still cheap and it's close to home and they can keep going and making tons of money from it. So yeah, I've actually just got a few miners coming my way actually. Yeah. Oh, you got that. There you oh, go. You yeah. haven't got him yet. They're coming your way. I've been waiting since April, but you know, well, <laughs> it's well, well there you go. Supply chain. <laughs> Ethereum uh-huh. or what are you trying to, are they ASIC? HNT, uh, they're a uh, rack hotspot. So they're just Very like cool. hotspot miners. Yeah. 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 Cool. It's amazing. Cool, yeah. Amazing world. Amazing. Everybody. So stand by um, on the seventh, uh, the documentary, who saw the man in black is going to drop. And then of course, in December, uh, secret space UFOs part one, um, just amazing. No, no, that's uh, Secret Space UFOs: Rise of the TR3B. That's oh, coming out. Perfect. Okay. Part one. Part one's already out. If people want to check that out. <laughs> okay. Okay. No. No worries. That, that's of, amazing. A good place for people to uh, consume your wonderful documentary. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, they can check out a number of different places. Uh, a bunch of my films are on Amazon Prime uh 2b tv those are kind of like spots that you can check it out for free um if you have an account or not i think you can check out most of those for free uh but itunes is where uh men in black will land and um most of my documentaries are there too you know youtube red google play a uh, whole bunch of places even in the states i think verizon fios um, dish network, those types of places too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, Darcy, just amazing what you do. Uh, appreciate the time for sure. I think this could have gone on a lot longer than it has. I mean, I don't think, you know, we just kind of touched the surface literally, you know, but, uh, but just amazing stuff. And thanks for your time. If you want to just, uh, stay online with us, we'll thank you when we get off air and, um, everybody Darcy Ware, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you.
Yeah, you know, I don't know. There's really not much to say. I mean, I, I think that um, there's a lot more that he could. I, I want to watch the documentary. I have it on my queue now. I have not seen it yet, but after he was talking about even like Kenneth Arnold way back in the 40s, and then you go now. The one question I had, I think, after the interview was, and I was going to ask you guys this. So, you know, we asked him the earliest, you know, everything in between, what do we think they're coming from? You know, he kind of covered that. But one of the latest incidences was 2013, and there really hasn't been anything past that. I ran out of time. I actually forgot I was going to ask him this, but I wanted to ask him, first of all, when Richard Doty retired, because, you know, he was doing the thing. He was trying to convince people and all that. And there hasn't been anything since, like, 2013 till now. Do you guys think there's a reason for that? Do you think whoever's doing this knows that we're kind of, maybe we're catching on ahead of the game. It's not the same game that's played anymore. And that's why we haven't had anything or I don't know. I would say no. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I think if anything, like for what we kind of talked about with whether or not we thought the, it was all coming from the same source, whether it was uh, human or not. Um, I think at least for the government side of it and like government agent agency people, uh, especially with the shift with the ATIP videos that came out and everything. Um, I don't kind of, what's the point of continuing it? You know oh, what I mean? Good. Especially yeah. if yeah. it is a more strategic move as in this is disclosure, you know what I mean? Which we've kind of all come to the consensus that it, probably this is what disclosure is going to be what it's going to look at look like if they're admitting that they know that it's a thing that's happening and it's real and they don't really know that much about it then there's really no reason to like send uh government agents around to um to to intimidate people and try and like keep people quiet anymore you know what i mean it yeah. Yeah. kind of doesn't yeah. really I get make it. sense i get that or maybe these people haven't come out with their stories yet they've been scared enough to keep quiet and nothing has come to the surface yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. I can see it both ways, you know, honestly, you know, things have changed. I mean, for sure. You know, I mean, and, and like I said, I think I agreed. I think disclosure, this is what we got. I, I, you know, like we told in the interview, I, it would just be (laughs) at this point, I think John, you said it, you fuck the military. She's got to double down. You know, there's no way you spent this many years trying to just dis regard everything, you know, it's a fucking weather balloon. Uh, there's a time when, you know, you don't want to lose that trust, even though they already lost it. I, I don't think that's going to change. I just yeah, don't see I that. I completely disagree with that. Do you? I, yeah, I don't, I don't think you that know. the government in general, but the uh, military industrial complex in specific has any kind of respect or thought to uh, what the civilian population and the citizenry's input or opinion of it is. Oh, they don't. They, they, they Yeah, they for sure. Single fuck. Yeah, they don't mm-hmm. care what the civilian population says, but they're not—they're not going to tell us the truth either. Well, that exactly. No, not unless yeah. there's a profit incentive, basically. Yeah. Well, and then you also got to think about other parties too, other third worlds, other uh, countries too. You know, when that stuff comes out, I mean, I, there's got to be—we're not just the only ones that have seen these things. You know, they've been obviously around the world. Brazil has a huge fucking UFO problem, so you know you got to look at that stance too. And they all have military platforms, so I—I I don't know. I don't know where that stands. You know, but anyway, interesting interview. I thought, I don't know if you guys got more feedback to it. Uh, great guy, you know, looking forward to what he has out on the seventh, looking forward to uh, the space program. 
Um, he mentioned Tyler. I, I think on that, we'll see if we can get that line. If we can't, you know, it is what it is. But uh, man, he's just the guy is fucking impressive. If nothing else, like the time he puts into this shit. Oh God. Yeah, he, yeah. he's he's definitely got a full plate. He's a hard worker. Um, it's always good to talk to him, and hopefully we can get him on. Yeah, for sure. In, uh, next month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll make it work. We'll, we'll figure out what we got to do. I don't really don't have anything else past that. Um, yeah. You know, if you guys enjoyed having them on, um, you know, by all means, you can email us at strangeuncles at gmail.com. You can call us. God, if you've seen a UFO, 801-252-6945. That's my dolphin sound. Is that what it is? That's funny. Good old puppies. Where are we on socials? Oh, we're in the same old places. Uh, Facebook and Instagram at Strange Uncles Podcast on Twitter at Strange Uncles. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel. It gets updated from time to time, but it's also uh, the audio format of the podcast is posted there weekly as well. If that's where you like to consume the show, although if you're listening to this, you probably already know that. Nice. Cool. Well, yeah, hopefully, um, Patreon listeners, we had some extra bonus stuff for you uh, during the Halloween time frame. So hopefully you like that. Uh, you know, we did the whole vampire write-up, which is just kind of fun to do. But, you know, we're going to get back into the meat and bones of things. And I think this interview is going to be an example of that. Uh, and then we've got uh, quite a few more shows before we're going to end in december We're going to call it a season. And then we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back in January. Um, but obviously, your guys' support, Patreon, and or just the regular listeners, too, uh, just you know, appreciate you tuning in for sure. So, anybody got anything else? Negative. Negative. Bueller. Bueller. All right. Close gates.